What's up, everybody? It's Matthew Newman, a.k.a. Mr. Catch on Fire, and the I Just Want to Record podcast. Come kick back and enjoy conversations with folks about the complex and, yes, (laughs) sometimes mundane intricacies of life, all meant to inspire you. I'll begin with this introduction as a statement, and it says there are more than 65,000 black churches in the nation with more than 25 million members representing more than $50 million each Sunday. Yet the parishioners are broke. Dr. Lance McCarthy, people should know who you are or who are you? Well, first of all, thanks, Matthew, for allowing me to come and share on this great podcast. Reference to who I am, I'm one of the few faith-based economists in the country. And so I have, through my entire career, been able to study, analyze, and give recommendations on the church in general and the Black church. As a Christian being born in St. Louis, I was part of the Greater Bethlehem Baptist Church, Reverend Philippus Robinson, who was a business preacher, recording artist, TV producer, and so being very fortunate to grow up in that environment and then being able to leverage my skill set in becoming a faith-based economist. I'm a PK. My father's a priest. My sister's a priest. I went to seminary. And one of the first objectives in the faith-based arena, I was a consultant to the Catholic Church. And that's where I cut my teeth and learned a lot about church economics, church development. And so I wanted to take that experience and bring it to the Black church. One of the first things that I learned when I went to consult the Catholic church, they were against war but they had stock in every defense company. Mm. So they had a diversified portfolio of revenue. Therefore, you can go to any Catholic church in any urban area that won't ask you for money. Mm. If you choose to, that's fine, but they have a portfolio. So that began to be my journey of how I could assist a black church. So in 1995, I was very fortunate to write an essay called A Proposal to Get Fit, Finance, International Technology, Economic Empowerment for the African-American Church. So God gave me the answer in 95. Wow. Have an enormous amount of peace and was able to leverage that to the black church community. And in that, I was able to write a book, Wall Street to the Hood. And when I first became an economist, uh, I said, you're going to pay me to read and write and get my opinion. <laughs> it's the best I can sign me up. Could be sign up. <laughs> and so coming from a business background, uh, not a traditional professor and researcher, I was able to look at it from a business. And that's where God gave me the vision to be able to assist the black church globally. I've been very fortunate to speak at every mega church in this country, T.D. Jakes, Jamal Bryan, Bishop Noel Jones, all of them. And so I am very blessed and fortunate to be a part of the Center of Hope model because we're creating a model that hasn't been done and will be able to help churches all around the country. That's incredible. And if I, if I was in front of a big audience, I would say, give you a round of applause. So I'll just do a, a silent round of applause. But the, the, the question that I have that comes to mind hearing your path is almost like a non-traditional path. Because most folks, when you think of economics, they don't think about economics in the church. Right. So if you can just elaborate a little bit more on the significance of capitalizing and seeking to teach more people about why economics in the Black church is so important? Yes, uh, great question. Again, being able to study and analyze 
as an economist, you always look at the industrial policy, meaning you look at the country. And so the black population is a country. We represent $1.7 trillion a year in revenue. So if the church is responsible for half of that, because 50% of black folks go to church, that means that we are responsible for $800 billion. So as an economist, how do we look at that $800 billion and be able to get a return on our investment and be able to help our community and our parishioners? The issue is there's not a business course in seminary. Mm. The pastors are taught to come out and run a business. Mm. So all they do is continue to do what they've been taught. Let me get more members. Let me get more 10% tied. And therefore, we can be prosperous. However, in my research, we want to be able to assess the economic impact and to be able to help the parishioners. We want to be able to minister to the whole person. Yes, we want to have the word, but we have to be able to take those skill set that God has given us and bring it to the church. If we really want to do true ministry, it has to have capital. And as you mentioned in my, my book, the first sentence in the book is, if you don't understand capitalism, yeah. you're a foreigner in your own country. Learn the language. Business is the language. Mm-hmm. So if you can take the language, incorporate that into the black church, we can really make a significant change for black people. So I want to go back to something really quick. And I yeah. want to go back to the thought of the black church making up, is it $800 billion? Yes. $800 billion. If I was in a classroom, I would ask you, the teacher, to break down that formula. Okay. So one more time, let's walk our audience through. Yes. How do we get to $800 billion? Yes, sir. Okay, again, collectively, 40 million African-Americans in this country make $1.7 trillion every year. That's the revenue. And the black church touches 50% of the population. So then 50% of the $1.7 trillion is around actually $850 billion. And so looking at how much that we are in part of, how do we attach ourselves to that and get a return of investment? Who you write your check to is who you make rich. Mm. So if we aren't, and I told this to Pastor Jeremy in our lectures, if you have a thousand members coming together on Sunday and you go in a thousand different directions on Monday, you're losing the economic platform. So how do we assess that $850 billion to be able to look at the talents on the pews and create a business plan. You can't have a business without a plan. <laughs> I think, so let, let's pause for a second, because I don't know if they're ready for that just yet. We want to build up to that portion, because at some point tonight, our takeaway should be the outline of the blueprint. Yes, sir. Right? So that for our pastors and all those folks yes. who have the opportunity to watch and listen to this, yes. they will clearly understand exactly what they can do yes, sir. leaving tonight. So. We have this 800 and now 50 billion that the numbers actually add up to yes. 850 billion dollars. That's just within the black church. Yes. Is that correct? That's the economic impact that we have as black people who are in the church. Because again, the church touches 50% of all black folks. So how do we get, let me backtrack in your yes. story a little bit. Most people don't know that you were, are the former president of the Orlando National Urban League. Yes, sir which is absolutely huge, right? We are both alpha men. And so that's within our fraternity. And we know as alpha men, how prominent black men, alpha men are in the national urban league. We know that. But what I would like to know and what the audience I'm sure is going to want to know is what did that position teach you about not only business, but nonprofit business? 
especially in the church. Because again, those are two words that we, or two phrases or words that we don't put in the same sentence being brought up in the church is nonprofit and business. People don't know that church is essentially a corporation. It's a business. So what did that experience at the National Urban League teach you? Great question. I was very fortunate to be the president of the Orlando Urban League. And I wanted to take a traditional nonprofit and bring innovation to them. And as I've always said in my book, in the nonprofit sector, nonprofit does not mean nonprofitable. Yeah. The only difference between a for-profit business and a nonprofit business is the IRS tax status. Mm-hmm. You're still running a business. So typically, people look at the Urban League as a social service agency. Mm-hmm. I changed the direction. I called it an economic development agency with a social mission. Mm-hmm. And so we went after contracts, not just grants, mm-hmm. because I saw that we were helping poor people, but they kept coming back the same time every year. They get the rent paid one time. How do you create economic strategies in order to get them employed and be able to move the agenda forward? So it was a very enriching experience because I was part of this 100-year nonprofit. Of course, we know Jewel was the president of the Urban League for over 40 years. Mark Morial is president of the Urban League. So I was able to take this national nonprofit and create innovation. So I get contracts, as I mentioned. We start doing innovation and technology. We got into the art arena. We did concerts. We did all the different things that a for-profit entity would do and came back again to the black church. So I had T.D. Jakes come in and speak for me, the state of the black church. And we did a enormous lecture, we did impact, and we did assessments, and also always was able to do that. So I was very fortunate. In 2008, we had the National Convention in Orlando for the first time ever. So that's when Senator Obama was running. I brought him in, as well as Senator McCain. They debated, and we set ourselves up to be a very innovative uh, affiliate. There's 100 affiliates across the country that are Urban League affiliates, and I was very fortunate to create an innovation by taking an established nonprofit and adding innovation to it. Hmm. Do you find that your exposure in that moment is what helped to catapult your mission even further? Yes, it did, because again, touching so many African-Americans through that platform, I was able to influence other CEOs. Uh, Actually, they wanted me to be the president of the CEO. So through our network, I shared all my strategies. Again, have the national conference there. Even back then, I hired an advertising department. So we would hit all the urban leagues every Monday morning with innovation, et cetera. One of the things that we did as far as showing your, your position in power, we created grits and issues. It was a breakfast every month to look at what was going on in Orlando. And we told the private sector, we're going to talk like Jesse Jackson. You're going to cut us in or cut us out. So we're going to make sure we get a piece of every deal. So it was nothing that was going on in Orlando that we didn't get a cut of. New stadium, new construction. We made ourselves a platform to make sure there was equity for African-American businesses and African-American folks. So that leads us to this point in our conversation yes. right now. And the point is this conversation around becoming a benevolent owner. And I love the way that it's put in this book. And I'm actually going to read an excerpt from this book specifically because I believe it's going to help some people to really rethink about how they approach their relationships and specifically pastors and church leaders and executives. But in this book called The Coming Revelation in Church Economics, why tithes and offering are no longer enough and what you can do about it. The author, Mark Demas, says the ways and means of benevolent ownership. And it says, why do we pay so much for a cup of coffee 
at a local coffee shop. In most cases, it is because the coffee shop proprietor, a small business owner, rents space from someone who owns the building as an investment. Someone who seeks top dollar from the tenants. The high rent is passed on to consumers, the community, who must then pay higher prices for their coffee. The building owner wins. The small business owner may or may not win, depending on whether they can get customers to pay higher prices to cover the overhead. And the customers lose by having to pay the higher prices. We can illustrate the situation as follows. You have a building owner, small business owner, consumers, which is the community. Yet if a benevolent owner has space to rent, such as a church, like the author's church, demanding top dollar from tenants is not essential to its vision or purpose. Rather than asking small business owners to pay top dollar for rent, we can lease space to them for much less than they would otherwise expect to pay. In return, we can ask them to pass on the savings to their customers who might now be able to buy a coffee at a cheaper price. Creating a win for us, generating income, a win for the small business owner, lowering overhead, and a win for the community, paying lower prices. We can illustrate this alternative situation as such. A plush for the business owner, a plush for the small business owner, a plush for the consumer or the community. For nine years, this church has been paying rent to the property owner of the old Walmart. The owner has also collecting rent, was also collecting rent from three stores that have been attracted to the site by our efforts. Learning from this experience, we asked the following questions. What if we owned the building? How could we leverage it to help our work? And what if we could do so in a way that blessed the community? What's your take? Well, I always tell people the concept of giving back, we should move to invest back. Mm -hmm. How do you do an investment that will get your return on your investment? And so, yes, I believe that we need to own as much as we possibly can in the Black church and create revenue, as you mentioned, from the book. I did a deal in the East Coast. This church uh, called me and they wanted to borrow Mm $250,000. That's too little to do a deal. Mm -hmm. I said, well, where are you located? They said, we're in a strip mall. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, is a strip mall for sale? They said, well, it's not a sign out there. Something's (laughs) always for sale. Yes. How much? so... (laughs) As you mentioned earlier, the church is a corporation. Yep. And as a corporation, you can purchase revenue-producing entities. Mm-hmm. So we went and negotiated with the owner of the property, end up buying the entire mini-mall because the revenue was able to suffice it. They moved out of their church part to an end, was a theater, so a church group. They put a mortgage company where it was, and they end up profiting $20,000 a month and own the facility. Wow. So again, it's just taking a mindset and changing, saying that we can own and we can take over the land because the church is a corporation. You would never see Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg, any of the high tech guys going to the bank to get funding. Mm. You can go to Wall Street where Christian investors will invest into your project and be able to do acquisitions. It's always easier to buy something that's revenue producing and we can do that. I was very fortunate to speak at the Black Realtors about a month ago. Okay. And I said, only 9% of you all in commercial real estate, stop passing the mall, stop passing the office buildings because you can buy it. Matter of fact, 
you were already in the commercial real estate business because the 65,000 black churches are commercial real estate. Wow. So if we take the corporation model and be able to do acquisitions, we're able to make a significant difference. So I definitely agree with the agenda there of how we can own whatever we want to own by doing acquisitions and understanding finance. But it's so crazy because you think about the number of people who are leading churches who think of, we're still in this mindset of an acquisition has to be in the typical business sense, right? Or in, in, it essentially is, but yes, we just need right. to be able to migrate it into the actual church, yes, right? And the church model in itself. This is a tough, tough question, but how do we get church leaders to embrace the mindset of, I am, yes, a pastor. I am a church leader. Yes, we're seeking to save souls and win them over to yes, Christ, yes. but the church still needs to prosper, Correct. right? That's a word that we don't like to use in the church anyway, but the church still needs to prosper. So how do we get involved with these specific acquisitions? We do the assessment of the members and the talents. And we find those who are in finance and banking who still not pews every Sunday and be able to put them into the business strategy. Hmm. I was in New York and speaking at a church. And I said, if you all are in finance, stand up. Because on Wall Street, mm -hmm. about 80 people stood up. Wow. I said, if you're on the finance committee, keep standing. Wow. 10 people. We in wow. the black church, we recognize and applaud the people who have been loyal over skill set. Wow. We got Deacon Singalot over the financing as opposed to the financier and the banker. But we as a people have to understand this. We somehow lose our concept and skills when we come to church. We keep it separate. You can go make a major corporation, billions of dollars, but when you come to church, you're talking about rummage sales and pig sacrificing as opposed to putting your talents into a business plan. So to answer your question, we need to take the talents in the finance community who are Christians and bring that to the business plan. The, the pastor doesn't have to be in charge of everything. The pastor needs a business person sitting beside him, not little docs kissing your butt, not an assistant, a business person, a business committee that focuses their talents on business people or Christians. You got many, many Christian millionaires, Christian billionaires, Christian businesses that we can adhere to and talk, but we have to take those talents and skills that are on the pews every Sunday and give them authority to move a business agenda. So what I'm hearing is that the, a church, a church or the church needs someone who can take the pastor's vision yes. and monetize that vision. That's correct. Because to your point, it's so crazy. I remember so many times how you have the most faithful deacon counting the money, going to do the deposit, and then telling them how much musicians should be paid yes. instead of figuring out, taking the, the tithes and offering and figuring out how can we reinvest this money? Where this can this money go to create these acquisitions? And that's not their skill set. That's not, not their skill set. Them, but they've been with the church forever. They've donated a certain amount of money, so they feel they run the church. Yes. I ask pastors, are you a pastor or are you a CEO? Are you an employee? Or you running this organization. And some of them don't have the will to run. The board tells them what to do. Some of them are real leaders. So you have to have a leader that's a pastor and then surround themselves with business people, i.e. disciples, yep. just as Jesus had yes. business people yes. with him and be able to create the business. Let him keep him praying. Let the pastor oh, do what he does. 
The Pope runs a multi-billion dollar organization. He's not doing the business deals. Wow. He got business people around him that are doing the business deals, yes. but they're still Christian and moving the agenda forward. A dear friend of mine told me something one day. I called her. We called each other. I had a scheduled call about yes. something, and I was going through it. Like I was going through it with my internal team. Some things were happening internally, whatever. And so she says, I'm going to pause right now and I'm going to pray for willing labor. Mm. And the reason she said that, she says, Matthew, I want you to pause and recognize something. I want you to recognize that Jesus the Christ had an audience around him. Yes, right? People who rallied around him, people who advocated for him and with him. But the closest people to him were the people who took his vision and ran with it and made it happen. All were businessmen. All we're businessmen. All businessmen. So when we look at us as small business owners or business owners, regardless of where your category you're in, or pastors or executives or business or church leaders, we are the ones who are supposed to be casting the vision. That's right. Write the vision, make it plain, whatever we want to use in order to endorse that thought or that frame of reference. But we're supposed to be casting the vision while our leadership should attract the people around us to take our vision and make that stuff happen. Yes, sir. And that's what, so I recognize and realize and appreciate my friend that said that. Now, here's something that I want to share that's come to mind. And it's about a church that I'm very, very close to. Mm-hmm. Ain't my church here in Inglewood. Ain't my church in San Antonio. It ain't my church in Dallas. So I'm going to just let everybody else figure it okay. out. But nonetheless, it's a church I'm very close with. And this church just celebrated 140 plus years wow. of existence. But check this out. They are in the same location. Actually, I'm sorry. They're across the street. Same building that I've known for the past 35, 36 years of my life. I've seen a pastoral change. But what I've not seen is a membership makeup change, nor have I seen any type of economical change in the church that is called the church that I'm referring to to be stagnant. Yes, they may be preaching the good word, but they're not growing beyond the dissipation, if you will, of that preach word. The main thing that I want to focus on is that the makeup of the church hasn't changed. To your point in your book, the number of people that rally on Sunday about the goodness of God are not flocking to the church. They're broke parishioners. That's correct. Not saying that the pastor's balling out of control, but the parishioners themselves are yet broke. And it seems as though the makeup is actually Trending down versus trending up. Yes, sir. Um, But what was happening, I see a trend of people who are starting to bring their talents to Mm -hmm. the church. Those who grew up in the church may have gone to school and want to come back and do something different. Mm -hmm. And so there are some innovations that are happening in the church. But yes, when you look traditionally, we're still doing an A-track church in an iPod world. (laughs) We have to be able to look at innovation and bring those skill sets. And I just believe I have to believe yeah. that there's going to be change. I'm very fortunate as a faith-based economist to be able to research all religions. Yeah. And I said I was very fortunate for an 82-year-old Jewish man to come out of retirement. He said, I want you to come to my house every week. I want to talk to you. I never met anyone with a brain like yours. He said, we have something different than the black church. We have something similar. In reference to similarities, we both pray. We go to the temple, you all go to the church. You go to, to church and pray. What's different? My father had a mantra, and the mantra was, I never had a friend I didn't do business with. Yes. So can you imagine if we yeah. understood that, if we stopped making church and the world separate and be able to bring that to the table and bring those skill set, 
The Bible says, where your heart is, your treasure should be as well. Pay a man who's just doing wage. The church and your occupation skill set doesn't have to be separate. You can bring that to the church and make money and help better. What better way than to bring everything to the kingdom? God has given these skill sets as opposed to just taking to the world. And we have amnesia. It's not just the church. <laughs> I spoke at the blacks in government. I spoke at black corporations, affinity groups. And they're in meetings talking about ad booklets mm. where they're making the corporations billions. So we have to get into the mindset. If you can make your corporation billions of dollars, take that same skill set and bring it to the church. Because the church can own businesses. A nonprofit can own as many for-profit entities as possible. Wait, wait, wait. Say that one more time. A for a nonprofit can own as many nonprofits as possible. Wow. And so doing that, we're able to move the agenda forward. For example, I was in the Bahamas lecturing to some pastors and I said, bring some of your leadership. We went around the room and looked at everybody's skill set. This one young lady said, I sell linen to hotels. I said, do you have a non-circumvent? She said, no. Within 48 hours, we created a new company. The church got 10% of that company, and she kept selling linen to the hotel. Wow. Just doing assessment of talents on the pews. How do you bring that to the platform and be able to make money? So if you're able to assist people with their skill set and their talents, and the church can benefit from that, you'll do much more than 10% of people's wages. You get 10% of businesses. Wow. That's a whole other model. And other religions do that. I always, when I talk, my lectures to pastors, mm. I ask three questions. I say, first of all, if all your members were millionaires, would your sermon be different on Sunday morning? Because mm. now you're talking to them in a different way. No disrespect against a light bill testimony. That ain't mine. Yeah. Second, yeah. if the Catholic Church has $108 billion a year, the Mormon Church only around 100 years, business part of their doctrine, they do $56 billion, and the Jewish community, 2% of the population, runs trillions. Mm. My question to the black church, do we serve a different God? Wow. And then lastly, have we created the hundred year plan? Mm. Because we have to prepare for third generation. We can adjust it, but now we got a plan. I believe in miracles, but miracles on top of a plan. Yes. And yes. have you done an assessment of the members? With wow. that, we can change. And again, it's nothing new. Every other religion does this. We, because we come out of labor, we come out of slavery, we come out of wages, mm. we don't do entrepreneurial. That's really the issue with nonprofits. Mm. When you look at nonprofits, the majority of them have middle managers on their board as opposed to entrepreneurs on the board. Same thing with the church. You got to have people who are entrepreneurs and business people assisting the Christian agenda. Wow. One of the things that I heard you, you mentioned was this aspect of tithes and offering yes. that we've heard so much about all of our lives. Give your 10%. But you spoke about managing and leveraging 10% of the, the profit versus the wage, yes, right? And Jim Rohn, one of my favorite orators and success business coaches, yes. says that you don't get paid by the hour, you get paid for the value you bring to the hour. Yes. And he says, always, it's always, always profits over wages. Yes, always sir. profit over wages. How much can I profit from this? And I believe that many churches miss out on this aspect because we're so hung up or the church itself, in this case, the Lord K, the capital C church, yes. us, has been so hung up on this aspect that we in the church can't make money. Whether that's a pastor, whether that's a minister, whether that's a church as a whole, the church shouldn't have money. The church, the misconception that the church should only have enough money to do the work of the church. Uh, yes. What is so far from the truth? It's so far from the truth. There's many nonprofits who make tons of money. Tons of money. 
So again, I believe in social entrepreneurship. If you look at the most significant social entrepreneurship model, it's Girl Scout cookies. Uh-huh. Nonprofit yeah. who sells products yes. and get return on investment. Green Bay Packers, nonprofit, NFL, nonprofit, yes. MasterCard, nonprofit, Goodwill, nonprofit. Yes. You can talk a lot of nonprofit organizations who make tons of revenue yeah. because they believe, again, you can still have a different IRS tax status, but you be able to move the agenda forward. And we have to, again, reprogram ourselves in the church arena that you can make a profit. The more money you have, the more you can help do the ministry. Yes. It's just a simple process, but again, we have to deprogram and come out of labor yeah. to ownership. Yeah. We have to move into ownership, and if we get that philosophy to the members, I think we can make significant change. So here's a, here's a statement, dear brother, that, that shook the world. I'm looking for people who smell like weed. New Birth is the largest in land-owning church in America. Why are we not raising cannabis? I'm able to bring... Black males, they are able to do it legally. I am teaching them farming. I am helping them to enhance the ecosystems. Stated by the Pastor Jamal Bryant, the renowned pastor of New Birth Church in Atlanta, Georgia. Is there something underlying that he's saying, or is it exactly what we hear? I think he made a significant statement in making that. Some of my major financiers who've made money, I say, how do you make money? They say, we follow legislation. We follow what the government does, and therefore we make money at it. So when you look at the whole cannabis industry, and we know many African-Americans have been displaced in the penal system because it was illegal. Mm-hmm. As it moves to legal, therefore you're able to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And the top reparation story is in Evansville, Illinois. Mm-hmm where they wrote in law that African-Americans will get part of the profit from the cannabis agenda. And it is a pastor who led that movement. So we have to be, again, understanding what's going on in the economy. If it's moving toward legalization, we should be able to be a part of that. I'm very fortunate to be the board chair of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. We go to states and make sure legislation has African-Americans in that space. So what better way? than the church to be a part of that. They are doing it in New York. They're doing it in other churches around the country. Look at the legislation and saying, how do we make sure we're a part of the legal? And of course, we know that there's not a lot of men in the church. So if there's a way to attract them and teach them and take them from negativity and illegalization to legalization, what better way to do that? So I heard this. Somebody said, okay, all right, cool. We can teach them how to grow cannabis on the land that is the largest land-owning church, if you will, in the nation, if I said that right. Yes. Nonetheless, is some folks, I remember in the comments, on the comments on Instagram, they were like, why don't we teach them how to raise apples, how to grow apples, how to grow pineapples and corn and, and other, why not produce to feed the impoverished black community versus teaching them how to grow weed? Good question. So if again, if you're looking at growth and trends, you look at legislation, the traditional fruits, et cetera, are saturated. You can go into the market, you're not going to be profitable. Mm-hmm. But if you look at something that is trending and is moving toward legalization, you're ahead of the curve. You make money by understanding what are the trends and what legislation is moving forward. Business legislation allows people to make money. And so we have to do as a people too, let's not just focus on the social side, let's look at business legislation. Since 1964, the Great Society programs, 
We have spent $22 trillion on poverty. Wow. Ronald Reagan said the war on poverty, poverty won. Mm. So if, we <laughs> if we're able to look at trends and get into technologies and agriculture, i.e. cannabis, that we can not only inform our people and help our people and make money, I'm all for it. I, I say rah-rah for Jamal Bryant. So question is, you have a lot of folks like yourself uh, who understand the significance of following legislation, following the dollar. One of the things I used to say all the time is that people or the, the government continues to imprison people for having weed because they haven't found a way to make money off of it. That's correct. And now that they found a way to make money off of it, it's kind of like, oh, if you have that much, you're good, you're good, whatever. So the question for us in the church is, why were people so offended? You got a lot of folks who disown Jamal Bryant. I no longer claim him, blah, blah, blah. But why does the black church get so offended by everything that counters what they think is true? Why is the black church so offended by what Pastor Jamal Bryant stated? We've been taught the church and the world, which is unfortunate. Mm -hmm. If Jesus came back today, he'd be mm -hmm. at the strip club. Mm -hmm. We got to understand how we have to go where the people are and understand the trends and not have church and state separate. Mm -hmm. You can bring your skill sets to the church. And so that is a new agenda and we have to get there. We're so mm -hmm. ready to throw stones and tell people what they can do as opposed to what they can. Mm -hmm. And again, Jesus went everywhere and we have to understand that platform. What better way to go into places or go into industries that we haven't been and show that you can be profitable, still help your people. Wow. You have to understand that mechanism. So I hear in this conversation that the first step for pastors and business owners or church leaders and executives, the first step is to write the plan. The plan is categorized by the assessment. That's correct. So that's step one yes. is to assess the people on your pews. That's it. You would never see a business going to the bank without assessing its assets. Your people are your assets. Switzerland is wow. the only country that puts the value of the person's IP and brain on the balance sheet. Wow. So that's how we're 800 billion because we got the talent on the pews. We haven't assessed our assets. Wow. And that's the issue. What will be step two? Once you get the, the assessment done, you begin to categorize them. Finance, technology, academic, community. And then once you categorize, then you begin to put together your plan, mm -hmm. a hundred day plan, and even a hundred year plan. And then you begin to assess it. And what we're doing as Center of Hope, very fortunately, we're doing business service by assessing the talents, putting together a plan and having people come free on businesses and move a business agenda forward and not be afraid to talk about money in the church. Hmm. In closing, the African-American church has always ministered to the social and psychological needs of the person, as well as the spiritual. I propose, and I'm quoting the Dr. Lance McCarthy, that the black church should expand its ministry to include economic development. The question that I would like to ask you, Dr. Lance McCarthy, is, is there really hope for the future of the black church? Sir, yes, it is. The, the black church has been the forefront of all movements, as you mentioned, the civil rights movement. And now I believe it's going to be on the economic development movement. We have so many smart, intelligent Christians who have not been able to bring their talents to the pews. We're not saying donate your time. We're not saying volunteer. You can actually work with the church and make a profit and still move God's will. And so I believe that wholeheartedly God has given this vision. 
And I'm very fortunate and blessed that they would share with you all. Let's lay out the blueprint again, Dr. Lance. Let's give our audience three to five practical next steps. If I am a pastor, yes. if I am a church leader of any sort or an executive that has now listened to this podcast in or watched it, and I now have the knowledge, what in the heck do I do from here? Again, the very first thing is to do an assessment of the talents. Once we do the assessment, we aggregate that into different categories. We take those categories and create a business plan. And we have to be involved in the economic development of your local locality. So get somebody on the economic development board, see what business and deals are happening. We're right here in the middle of Inglewood, which has enormous amount of growth. We're going to be a part of all that. And once you do that, you start connecting and looking at church differently. And this also assists the youth. Yeah. One of the fifth thing is make sure we evaluate and access the youth because they are learning technology. They can bring that to the church. Again, we can't do a track church in the iPod world. <laughs> Let's be able to connect these youngsters yes. and be able to show them that you can serve God and make money. That's incredible. Dr. Lance, McCarthy, thank you so very much for being on the I Just Want to Record podcast. And for the audience, whether you're watching and or listening, I encourage you all to go to Amazon or anywhere books are sold and purchase Dr. Lance's book. It's called The Blueprint for Economic Empowerment, Wall Street to the Hood. Thank you for joining us on the I Just Want to Record podcast. Be sure to like, subscribe, and follow so that we can inspire more people just like you. Until next time, I'm Matthew Newman, a.k.a. Mr. Catch on Fire, signing off.